0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us this morning for worship at the Vista. Um, whether this is your first time with us or you have been coming for quite some time, we are we're really glad you're here and always just blessed that you chose to spend Sunday morning with us. Um, we're in the middle of a series entitled This is Water. Um, the big idea behind the series is that there are certain things we are all immersed in, waters in which we swim, and it's hard to talk to a fish about water. A fish doesn't know anything but water, and so the idea is that a lot of these things are just things that, you know, they're, they're right kind of in our face all the time, and we want to learn how to navigate them in the right, in the right way, okay? So today, we're going to start out in Psalm 139. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump around a little bit, but we'll be in Psalm 139 to start with, um, and as you are turning there, I wanted to make, this is going to be my uh, sort of quarterly public service announcement to the 1030 uh, audience, right? And that is that this is our most full service. And uh, numerous studies that we have done have shown that when new people decide they're finally going to come to church and they begin to look and see like, man, I want to check this church out. Most of them, the overwhelming majority of them tend to, uh, they tend to come to the, the, the middle service. This is the service that most new people tend to Tend to show up in, and so what we try to avoid, what we're working on, is we don't want to create a a place or a a situation where new people finally kind of muster the courage to come to church, and then they walk in and go, "Yeah, this church is too full. There's not really a place for me. I don't want to sit on my neighbor's lap." Um, And so we we try to not create that kind of environment. So we we have three services, and the others have a little bit more room in them, particularly the eleven forty five. There's lots of room in that one, so. Again, my, you'll hear us about once a quarter make this announcement, maybe more often, but uh, if you can make it work in your family's schedule to, um, to go to that 1145 or to go to a different service, that would probably help us quite a bit, just balancing our services out some. Um, I know that 1145 is probably, for some of you, you're like, that's way too late in the day for church. And so again, you know, you, know, you could start some new family traditions, I don't know, sleep in, have have like a late breakfast and then sort of make your way to church, it should work fine because most of you are late anyway, right? So (laughs) 11, I mean, 1145 is just, that should, that should help you, right? You should all be on time. Um, So just for what it's worth, um, just, just kind of know that again, we're, we're trying to, we always want to be a place where visitors always feel loved, welcomed and wanted. And we want to make sure that what we're communicating is that we have a place for you. And so if you're one of our regular attenders or members, um, if, you can, if you can make one of those other service times work, that would, that would help a little bit, all right? Today we're going to be talking about the subject of uh, individuality or, or uniqueness. So we live in a culture that tells you to chase, pursue at all costs your individuality, be an individual, be unique, be special, you're different. Um, and so we almost kind of idolize that to a certain extent. And the irony is I was watching an award show or I say watching, there was an award show on, on my TV when I was doing something else. And as a parent, um, man, award shows have kind of gotten to where you have to be really careful when your kids are in the room, when you're watching an award show, because you never know what they're going to say or sing or wear or not where. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you just, as a parent, you tend to be a little more conscious of those things. And so I was, one of those was on on our TV and they were talking about just this, this person that I thought, and I found to be very, very odd and weird. Uh, they were talking about how just unique and how just, 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 it, they're such an individual. And I thought, it's a weird dynamic where everybody wants to be an individual and everybody wants to sort of pursue individuality and uniqueness, but if you're good enough at it, then you become a trendsetter, right? And if you're a trendsetter, then other people want to copy you, making you less unique and less of an individual. Like, you see how that works? I want to be so unique and special, but I want people to copy what I do because I'm so unique and special, and therefore, none of us will be unique and special anymore because everybody copied what I did. You see how that works? And so it just kind of dawned on me that we almost, in our culture, in our society, we, we chase after and pursue, maybe even use the word idolize a uniqueness and our specialness. It's like, we feel like we have to really chase after it. And so this sermon, I'll just go ahead and out out front mention, it's gonna seem a little schizophrenic for you to hear this from me. Because normally I'm the guy telling you, you know, you're all worse than you think you are. Like you're sinners, Uh, we're all pretty bad people. I know you think you're fine, but you're not fine. You need a savior, just like everybody else needs a savior, right? In the Bible Belt, when you're a pastor in the Bible Belt, like 90% of your job is convincing people they're lost so that you can get them saved. Because everybody in the Bible belt's like, I'm fine. My dad was a, you know, a deacon or my mom went, taught Sunday school or that's great. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children, right? And everyone thinks they're fine because they went to church when they were growing up. And so a large part of what you'll hear me talk about all the time is, man, I'm telling you, you're a sinner. You're a sinner, total depravity. We're really, really bad. And today is going to seem weird because today my goal is to tell you how unique and special you are. It's all in the Bible, right? It's all in the Bible. But that's where we're going. That's where we're going this morning. Individuality and uniqueness, okay? Um, it's just amazing if you really think about it. We talked about identity a few weeks ago. We spent several weeks talking about identity. And there are ther- certain things about our identity that we all have in common, right? We are all, as human beings, we're all made in the image of God. That's what we, said. we said that a few weeks ago. And so we all, all humans sort of share that in common, that we're all made in God's image and, and we have, uh, you know, a, a specialness about us because God breathed life into us. And, and then we talked about our identity in Christ and how if we're in Christ, uh, that is something that believers share in common. That again, our identity is rooted in him. And so there is some commonality to that. But then what's amazing to me is that the God who, who made every single person on the planet that has ever lived and there, although there are things they have in common, each and every person is also different than any other person that has ever been made. Like, how amazing is that? That God, God could create in such a way that we we share some things in common, but we're also unbelievably unique. Uh, Mark Batterson is an author and a pastor. He wrote a book called Soulprint. Um, I don't recommend books all the time. I know everybody kind of just has different different views and perceptions, and so. Uh, but this was a really good book about identity and uniqueness. Uh, it's, a, it's a short and pretty easy read. The big idea behind the book is he starts off with the fact that we all have a unique fingerprint. Uh, your fingerprint is unlike anyone else's fingerprint on the face of the planet. Your fingerprint, like no two people that have ever lived have the same fingerprint. That's crazy. Like that's why law enforcement uses our fingerprint to identify people because your fingerprint is uniquely your fingerprint. And what he'll say in the book is like, It's crazy to think that the fingerprint is the only thing unique about you. Like at the end of the day, that uniqueness that God made you with just continues to to go. Like he'll say, our uniqueness is down in our soul. We have a a soul print, if you will, because every single person, just like your fingerprint is unique, your life, your soul is is very, very unique. And that's the way that God made you. In fact, um, in his book, he, he actually has done some mathematical calculations of how um, uh, you know, what goes into making you, you. And so I'll just read this excerpt from his book. I think it really drives the point home. He says that you have 46 chromosomes, 23 are from your father and 23 are from your mother. And that is a unique combination of chromosomes that determine everything from the color of your eyes to how many hairs are on your head and uh, an incalculable number of other things about you. That's, uh, that is, that is where we get that from. And so he'll say that the mathematical probability that you would get the exact 23 chromosomes that you got from your mom is 0.5 to the 23rd power. Now, um, that's one in 10 million, okay? Now, but the same is true for the 23 chromosomes you got from your father as well. And so if you multiply those two together, the probability that you would be you is one in 100 trillion. But you can't stop there because you also have to factor in that your parents had a chromosomal history from their parents and then their parents got it from their parents. And so on and on and on you go and what you end up finding out is that uh, it's astronomical. Like the probability that you would be you is incalculable. Like you are incalculably unique is 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 the big idea. That there has never been and never will be anyone else like you that will ever exist. And again, I find when it comes to uniqueness and individuality, what what tends to happen is we either fail to see it. So some people go look around and they go, man, I'm not unique at all. I'm not special at all. There's nothing unique about me. I'm just like everybody else. I'm boring. I'm, you know, whatever you hear, you hear the statements. They just, you fail to see your specialness. You fail to recognize your uniqueness or the other extreme happens, right? Where clearly some people think they're more special than everybody else, right? You know that person? Like... We almost, again, we we treat it like an idol. And, and, And again, just in the way of preface, what I would say is that while we should recognize and be grateful for our uniqueness and for our individuality, we should not make it an idol because your uniqueness is not a testament to you. It's a testament to the God that made you, right? Your uniqueness is a testament to the bigness and the beauty and the splendor and the glory of God. And so I wanna look at a few things this morning uh, in scripture where it speaks to um, how God made us and, and it's the, the specificity and, and the, the uniqueness and the specialness with which God made each and every person. So um, one more preface, I promise. My introduction is almost over. Um, <laughs> halfway through the sermon. I'm almost done with my introduction. Um, I know that we have people in our church that sort of come at this idea of, uh, of God's involvement in your life and how specific and detailed that involvement in your life is um, from a few different theological places. And so what I mean by that is we've got like our our free will Arminians in the room, right? And they get a little uncomfortable when you talk about God planning and determining everything. They get this little weird twitch, you know, when you start talking about God did this and God did that and God did everything. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know that that's exactly, I don't know that God's that involved in every single thing like some things happen and God allows it and then he works things together for good but that's kind of your free will thinkers and that's fine and then we have like our our Calvinist in the room and the Calvinist in the room they think God determined every single thing like you had a really good cup of coffee this morning and you're like God made my coffee this morning God gave me a really great cup of coffee like everything to the to the little iota is is God did this and I say that because I know as we read some of these texts, some of you are gonna kind of look at these texts through some, some different lenses. And again, here at the Vista, that is fine. That's an, we call that an open-handed issue. So just know that going in. I don't need emails this week about, oh yeah, but if you think about it this way, like send those to Austin. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't need that. All right? So number one, Psalm 139, beautiful text, famous text. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, okay? Here's, here's what the psalmist, this is David, a Psalm of David. And here's what it says. For you, he's talking to God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. My first point is that you and I have been uniquely shaped. You might use the word wired by God. You and I have been uniquely shaped, uniquely wired by God. The very first verse that we just read in in verse 13, this section of the psalm starts out with, for you formed my inward parts. Now, I don't know if I need to say this or not, but like every single word in the Bible is not, is not unbelie- like super literal. So when David says, God, you formed my inward parts, he's not going, thank you for my you know, large intestine. Thank you that you put together my liver and you gave me a pancreas. Like he's not, he's not literally talking about his like inward parts, right? When the Bible talks about your inward parts, it's talking about your inward being, like who you are deep down in your soul the thing that makes you uniquely you, the, the thing that gives you your personhood. And what he's saying is, God, you did that. Like you, you made me me. You, the depths of your personhood and, and how you're wired, like that, that comes from somewhere. That's not all a freak biological accident. Now, I know that, that uh, again, some of you are going to go, wait, some of that stuff, like the way you're wired, your personality, some of that stuff comes from your environment and the people you're around, and that's absolutely true. And I'm going to show you in a minute that even your environment was planned by God, right? So however you want to look at it, at the end of the day, you are uniquely you, and that's not an accident. Like God has had his hand in some way, form, or fashion making you uniquely you. Um, I don't know how many of you have taken different personality tests, Right? I have, uh, for the most part, I've been kind of anti-personality tests. Like, I've always been the guy that's like, look, I don't need like to be labeled as some animal or some number. And then that's like, that's who you are for the rest of your life. And that's how everybody sees you is you're a, I don't even know. If you get a weird animal, that always sounds weird. You're an aardvark. And it's like, what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to be an aardvark. I'd rather be like a lion or something. But so you get these weird personality tests and they tend to label you. And so I've always kind of been anti-personality tests. But our, our staff, a few years ago, we did some Enneagram tra- training. Anybody done the Enneagram stuff? That's fascinating, right? Like, it's fascinating. And so, um, and again, whether you kind of buy into all of it or not, at the end of the day, it was helpful for us to help understand us a little bit and to understand the people that we work with. So the way that you respond to different things, the way you tend to be like this as opposed to like this, the way, you know, you got some people that are very just type A and structured and they want to plan everything out for like 10 years from now and know every detail. And they, you know, they got all their ducks in a row and they can't understand why you're not freaking out about the, the thing going on. And you got other people that are all laid back and going, man, some of y'all need to calm down. Like, what's the big deal? And so you've got, everybody's kind of wired differently. And again, again, no matter no matter kind of where you come in the theological and how much involvement God has, at the end of the day, the Bible's pretty, cl- pretty clear that, that in some way, form, or fashion, it's not all random. Like God has had his hand, uh, his hand is involved in your life, uh, creating you, making you um, unique and, and special. And so you have been shaped, you have been wired by God in some very specific ways, right? Another text I want you to look at with me is 1 Corinthians 12. Over in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Uh, verses four through seven. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to believers and he's talking about their gifting. And here's what he says. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse seven says to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The second kind of big idea is that you and I have been uniquely gifted by God. We've all been uniquely gifted by God. 1 Corinthians 12 makes it clear that your gifting isn't something that you just, you just got to choose. Like your gifting, you don't get to just go, yeah, I really want to be that, or I want to. Like God, the Holy Spirit gives you your, your gifting. And again, I said this in the first service. Like, there are certain things uh, that as Christians, the Bible's pretty clear, we should all sort of strive for. So, you know, um, hospitality, generosity, service, those are things that, sure, we should all sort of strive for. But you ever been around somebody that just seems naturally gifted at that thing? Like some of you can try really hard to be hospitable, and you're working at it, but you get around somebody that is like king or queen hospitality, and man, they just, they're just good at it, right? Right? or service or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. There are things that God has gifted you in that are just going to come more natural to you. That's, that's a gifting from God. God has uniquely gifted you. And I know that some people think that like, my gift's not that big a deal or, or my gift's not that important. But again, Paul says, look, they're all important. They're all important. Every kind of member of the body is important and has been uniquely gifted to, to bring glory to God and edify the church and serve the people around for the common good. And so you and I have been uniquely shaped and wired. We've also been uniquely gifted by God, whatever that, that gifting is. One more that I want to look at is that you and I have been uniquely placed by God. have been uniquely placed by God. Acts chapter 17, a little bit to the left. Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul is... Um, He is at the Areopagus. It's where a bunch of really smart people, kind of intellectual philosophers would get together and and talk about life and try to answer all the questions of life and they would debate one another. And so Paul kind of steps into this arena and they've got all these statues to different gods. But if you have a lot of statues and you believe in a lot of different gods, you're always afraid you're gonna leave a god out, right? And that's what happens here. Like They have a statue and the inscription says to an unknown god, like just in case they missed one. They gotta have a statue to the unknown God. And so Paul steps into this arena and he takes kind of their culture and he basically says, hey, what you see as unknown, I'm gonna explain to you the real God, the true God. And that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 17. So as he's talking about this, here's what he's, he's talking about this statue and he's like, look, there's there's, there's one other God that you're kind of forgetting about. And here's what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, that's Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries for their dwelling places. So again, I know that people kind of approach some of this differently, but, but when we talk about God has placed you, God has uniquely placed you, it's talking about both time and location, right? So time and location. Um, you and I didn't get a vote when it came to the time period in which we were born, right? Like none of us before the, before the world was created or before we were born, none of us got to go, you know what, late 2000s is when I wanna, I wanna live in the late, early 2000s. I wanna live, like I want internet, and I want modern appliances, and for God's sakes, I want a bathroom in my house. Like, none, none of us got to, got to choose the time period in which we were born. We were born into a specific time period by God's design. Like, as much as I can kind of uh, romanticize what it would have been like to live in, like, the 1700s, God probably knew, Dave, you, you wouldn't make it. You would, you would die. <laughs> like, you, you wouldn't make it. Like, we were, we were born into a specific Time period. At the same time, we didn't get to vote on where we would live. I didn't get to go, God, I would really like to be born to parents that live in the great nation of Texas, right? Like I would, that's where I want to be. I want to be, be in Texas, right? Amen. No, like you didn't get to pick that. And I know, again, things happen in your environment. Maybe, maybe you know, my parents were from here and they happened to move here and we happened to end up here. Again, that's, that's a fine interpretation, but the, the big idea, and Austin and I talk about this all the time, wherever you are, however you got here... The challenge is to be present where your feet are, right? Because we've talked about this before, like so many times what we always think is I'm only here for a little while. Maybe you're a college student and you're like, man, as soon as I graduate, I am gone. As soon as I get married, I am out. As soon as I get that better job at this other city or this other place, I'm gonna leave. And so we sort of live with with one foot out the door and one foot in. And I think the challenge is to go, no, no matter how long you're here, whether that be for a week or for the rest of your life, Man, God has placed you here right now for a reason. God has you here in this particular time and in this particular space. So so be present and live and serve and love where where your feet are because God has uniquely placed you. God has uniquely placed you. So those are kind of three big overarching, like scripture speaks to the fact that you have been uniquely wired or shaped by God, not just your physical attributes, but in the depths of who you are, that God had his hand in that. Uh, God has uniquely gifted you, that you're gifting in kind of the things you're naturally, that come easy and natural to you. Like that's not, again, a, a freak biological accident. Like God had his hand in that. And then that you have been uniquely placed by God, both the time in which you live and the place in which you find yourself, uh, to some degree, God has had his hand on that, bringing you to this specific place. Now, I wanna just kind of spend a little bit of time talking about one of the great enemies one of the great enemies of our living out of our uniqueness and our individuality and our specific calling, one of the great enemies to that is comparison. Comparison, right? Comparison usually leads to one of two outcomes. When we spend your time comparing yourself to someone else, which we all do a lot of, right? It usually leads to either overconfidence in yourself or a lack of confidence in who God made you to be. Those are kind of the two outcomes of comparison. Either overconfidence in yourself, which is pride, or a lack of confidence in who God made you to be, which is discouragement. So just know that if you're, if you're someone who's constantly comparing yourself to other people, like that's the road that, that, that it's gonna take. You're either gonna look at everybody around you and go, I'm clearly better than all those people, right? Like I'm way, about, I got a better education, I've got more money, I'm doing better than so-and-so. And it can lead to pride where you think maybe too highly of yourself or the opposite is you, you compare yourself to everybody else and you're like, man, I am a loser, right? Like you're like, I don't have the stuff they have. I'm not as good at that as they are. I don't do this as well as they do. They've got the nice stuff I don't have. And so it leads to a lot of discouragement. And I'm telling you, Austin talked about technology last week. Technology is a blessing in many ways. It's also a curse, right? He said, again, you can go back and listen to the, if you missed last week's sermon. It's really, really good, but it can be really, really dangerous as well. And I'm telling you, I think we... Uh, as just humanity alive today, because of technology, because of social media, we spend more time comparing ourselves to other people than any other, like, any other uh, you know, era of human history. We've got a screen. I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, the average adult picks up their phone over 2,000 times a day. And a lot of that is comparing You know, you look at someone else's life and what someone else is wearing and and where someone else went on vacation and how pretty their life is and how great their kids are and all the awards. You spend a lot of our time just comparing ourselves to other people. And again, it leads to either overconfidence in yourself, pride, or a lack of confidence in who God made you to be, which is discouragement. I'll give you a few examples of, in Scripture... Kind of the way, this, the way this played out. So in the Old Testament, back in uh, 1 Samuel, there's a man named Saul. Saul was Israel's very first king. Um, Saul was, in fact, 1 Samuel 9 is going to describe him for us. And these are the words that it uses to describe Saul. He was really wealthy. He was taller than everybody else. And he was better looking than everybody else. Now, if you get a vote, that's three pretty good ones, right? Like, let me think. Uh, taller, better looking than everybody, and rich. Yes, sign me up. Like, those are, those are good. Like, that's, the, that's what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 9. That's who Saul was. He was just, he was just better than everyone else, right? And so Saul becomes king, and he, he starts out really well. He starts out like trying to honor God and, and work for the Lord. And and, and do a lot of really good stuff. And so in, in 1 Samuel 14, verse 35, uh, Saul, it says, and Saul built an altar to the Lord. And it was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Saul does something great. He's like, man, did God get the glory? I want to build an altar to the Lord. Listen, one chapter later, one chapter later in 1 Samuel 15, verse 12, here's what it says. So Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told to Samuel that Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument, an altar for himself. He turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Listen, in the span of one chapter, it's so like literally just a few verses, Saul went from building altars to the Lord to building altars and monuments to himself. Again, Saul was someone that was constantly comparing himself to others, looking behind him, what people thought was a really big deal to Saul. And you see how it just changed. Literally, that's the story of Saul's life. Saul compares himself to everyone else, and he's like, man, I'm taller, I'm better looking, I'm more wealthy, I'm just, I'm really amazing. I'm awesome. Like, Saul was like anchorman. Like, he was, he just thought very highly of himself, right? He was just like, I'm kind of a big deal around here. Saul just compared himself to everybody and realized how much better he was than everyone, and it led to overconfidence in himself and pride. And it was his downfall. That's the story of Saul's life. Started out really good. Pride got the best of him, right? Now, by comparison, let's look at David. David was the next king of Israel. David also was described as a good-looking man and a lot of positive characteristics. And I don't have time to turn there and read the whole story and kind of unpack the whole thing for you. But basically, in 1 Samuel 17, you can read about the story if if you've not heard it before you've got this really famous battle of David and Goliath, right? So you've got the the Philistines are are camped out on one side and you've got the the Israelites camped out on the other and the big valley in the middle. And uh, this big giant named Goliath, warrior, he comes down and he is basically cursing God and he is, um, uh, you know, mocking Israel and, and, and mocking their God. And he's basically like, if you'll send down, you know, your best warrior to battle me we'll just settle this between us and, and whoever wins can can win the war so he just comes down day after day after day mocking God mocking the armies of God and so you know David who's a shepherd boy at the time he he comes to bring his brothers a little little happy meal he brings them a little snack pack or whatever he brings them their lunch and uh you know he's like hey uh is anyone gonna go fight this guy and they're all like nope you 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 do it I'm 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 good Nobody wants to fight Goliath. So David's like, I'll fight him. And they like laugh at him. Okay, little boy, you go home, right? David goes back to King Saul. Saul is king at the time. And he tells Saul like, look, let me go fight Goliath. And Saul like is going, okay, buddy. Uh, no, you're not, you're not gonna go fight Goliath, he's like, look, I have a shepherd, I have killed a bear and I've killed a lion and I'm really courageous and I will do, I will fight this guy. So Saul reluctantly is like, okay, uh, you're gonna need some armor and he tries to what? He tries to give David all of his armor, remember? Here's my breastplate, here's the helmet, like probably covers his eyes, he can't even see out of it, right? You're gonna need a sword, he tries to give him the sword. David, maybe he can't even lift it, right? Yeah. And finally David goes, no, I can't, I can't, I can't use your armor, I can't wear your armor. Saul's like, well, what are you going to use? I got, a, I got a slingshot, right? Saul's probably like, oh, dear Lord. All right, go on. I'll, I'll never see you again. Um, and he sends David out there, and David, David goes out there. You know, y'all know the story, right? It's one of the most famous Bible stories. Uh, David is approaching Goliath, and um, he grabs five stones on his way, and he only uses one. I think he had a backup plan. The other four were like backup plan. This doesn't go well, right? He puts one stone in the sling, and he... he strikes Goliath in the forehead and Goliath falls and he dies. And David has this victory. It's a great story, great story. Here's the thing. How do you think it would have gone if David had tried to go fight Goliath with Saul's armor on? Probably not very well, right? Like David couldn't fight the way Saul was gonna fight. David couldn't be Saul. And David had this opportunity Saul's king and if he had this aspiration David at the time wasn't going I want to be king David was like you know he's content to be him he wasn't trying to compare himself to Saul he wasn't trying to be Saul and he wasn't trying to fight the way Saul would have fought he had to be David and you see you know the story it's this unbelievable victory but here's the point the big idea is that you and I have been created unique and individuals and some of you some of us at times we're just maybe trying to we're trying to wear the wrong armor right like we're, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. We're constantly going, I want their gifting. I want their placement. I want their this. I want their stuff. I want to I be like more like them. And God's going, look, I didn't, I didn't make you to be a carbon copy of anybody else. I didn't, I didn't make you to be just like someone else. Some of us spend so much time, man, trying to, trying to wear the wrong armor. We're, we're trying to sort of settle for being someone else. And that's not who God made us to be. I'll end with this. Um, Mark Batterson has this quote in his book. I think it really drives the point home really, really well. How we should live out of our uniqueness. Why God didn't make us all the same. Why God didn't make us to worship him the same and, and bring glory to him the same and serve him in the same ways. Why God didn't make all of us have the exact same attributes. Here's what he says. The fact that there never has been and never will be anyone like you simply means that no one can worship God like you or for you you were created to worship God in a way that no one else can how by living a life that no one else can your life you play an irreplaceable role in God's grand narrative and so the challenge is again God has made you unique God has already made you an individual It's not something we have to go out and chase after and pursue and try to just be different than everyone else because the Bible says, no, you're you're already who God wants you to be. So, So stop living someone else's life and someone else's calling and trying to be like someone else. Instead, be who God made you to be. Worship how God made you to worship. Serve how God made you to serve. Love the people around you that only you can love in a way that only you can because when we're living out of our uniqueness and our individuality that God has made us with, and that is when we bring the most glory to God. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful today for the fact that you have made us all unbelievably unique. And God, there's comfort in the fact that, that, um, that we have some things in common. There's certainly comfort in the fact that we share a common identity. But God, it's just amazing and it speaks to the bigness and the glory and the splendor of you that you have also created us in such a way that we're unique and there is not ever, there's never been and there never will be anyone else exactly like us. So Father, I pray that we would not just kind of play that comparison game where we're constantly looking around at everybody else and what they have and how you've wired them and placed them and shaped them. But, but God, we would be content with who you made us to be. That we would live out of that that specialness that you've given us. That we'd be faithful where our feet are no matter how long we think we're here for. And then we would worship you and serve you and bring glory to you in a way that only we can. And we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.